Their church families, we gather for worship this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. As we come to him in worship, we also confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who has made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the works of His own hands. Amen. Let us now continue our worship service by the singing of Psalter 86, All Stanzas. Psalter 86, All Stanzas. as you can find it in Exodus 20, to which we will sing in response Psalter 341, stanzas 1 and 3. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou do labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, thy stranger that is within thy gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, 
and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let us now sing in response Psalter 341, stanzas 1 and 3. Dear church family, the reading of God's holy word will be this morning from Romans 8, verses 12 to 39. And this is the word of God that is infallible and inerrant. The word that has that power to transform us, let us therefore hear it with reverence. Romans 8, verse 12 to 39. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. 
for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us now come to the Lord in prayer as we seek His face and His blessing in this worship service. Lord Almighty, Sovereign, Father in Heaven, we thank Thee so much that Thou dost yet give us another opportunity to come to Thy house this morning, to have Thy Word proclaimed unto us. For Father, Thou art Sovereign indeed, over all of creation, the earth and us people in it, and even the entire universe, as what we already meditated upon this morning, Lord, thou didst create the stars, the moon, the sun, the earth. We cannot even see the beginning and the end of it, the height or the depth of it, the expanse of it. And Lord, these things are but witnesses of Thy greatness, Thy sovereignty, Thy power. And even, Lord, when we consider these works of creation, we know, Lord, that there is greater work still. The work of recreation, 
We're out of a fallen world and a fallen humanity. Thou dost work in the hearts of men to restore them into the image of the Son. The Son, Jesus Christ, who Himself descended into this earth, took upon Himself our flesh, walked the face of the earth, facing the temptations, the sufferings, the trials, and then went to the cross to descend into hell, to bear the burden for our sins. But Lord, who also was risen again from the dead, by which we may know that that payment has been accepted and our sins have been paid for and we've been ransomed by Him. And as such, Lord, what other confession that can we have at this morning that Thou dost own us and we owe our lives to Thee and we are to devote our every, every detail of our life to Thee. For Thou art worthy, Lord. And it is for this reason that we come to seek Thy face this morning. Praying, desiring of Thee, Lord, that Thou wouldst be in our midst this morning. That Thou wouldst be at work of Thy Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds clearing us from any obstacle that could hinder us from receiving Thy Word. So that indeed, Lord, we may worship Thee in truth, in our hearts, and with our mouths. And Lord, as we then are fed by this Word, that we would also, through the remainder of this week, live it out as witnesses of Christ Jesus This, therefore, we pray, Lord, that Thy will would be done this morning here in this house of worship, that Thy name would be glorified and hallowed. We pray, therefore, Lord, that Thou wouldst use this message to strengthen Thy church, if to be backsliders among them, Lord, that Thou wouldst correct them, if to be those who are walking in doubt or fear, that Thou wouldst encourage them. And that for those who stand in the faith, that they would be strengthened and encouraged again to walk the life of faith, knowing, reassured again, that Thou dost everything for that one purpose, to glorify Christ. And yet knowing, Lord, that as children of God, we get to participate in that glorious purpose. But also, Lord, that those who are still outside of Jesus Christ, that their hearts would be stirred with that irresistible longing to be reconciled with Thee, to be part of that great glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, that Thou wouldst draw them in and not leave them to themselves. Lord, that in all these things, Thou wouldst be at work among us, working these things, these, these works of recreation that we ourselves cannot produce. And Father, we wish to lift up before Thee also this morning 
the needs of this congregation. For there are many. We pray, Lord, that Thou wouldst continue to show Thy benefits upon this flock. We pray, Lord, for its pastor, Pastor Zerafini. We thank Thee, Lord, for his work here in New Jersey. We pray, Lord, that Thou wouldst continue to richly bless it. And we pray, Lord, that Thou wouldst give him traveling mercies as he hoped to travel home later this week. Be thou with him and bring him safely back to his family. And we pray, Lord, that he may continue to see the fruits of his labor. And that his work also in Brazil may be blessed as of this past week. Father, we thank thee also for the work of Rayowell here in this congregation. We pray, Lord, that indeed his internship may have been richly blessed to his encouragement and his building for him and also for Carol and their children. And Lord, as they seek to travel back to Michigan tomorrow, that thou wouldst give them also traveling mercies. And Lord, that these memories of what took place here may linger in their hearts and that they may be truly thankful and have much reason to be thankful for what thou hast done for them. And also, Lord, for this flock that he too, Lord, may see the fruits of his labor here. Father, we lift up before thee Mr. Brian van der Vrede, as he's in weakening condition. Lord, we pray that during these hours, when death draws nigh, that thou thyself would draw even closer to him. That he may experience thy comfort and peace and have a longing to be with thee. And Lord, we pray for strength and for faith for his wife and his children. Lord, that thou wouldst be at work among them and greatly encourage them knowing, Lord, that death does not have the final word. And we thank Thee, Lord, for having heard that this confession already has been made. Help them, O Lord, to continue to walk in that testimony. Father, we pray also for Mr. Steve and Brenda, celebrating their 36th anniversary. Also, Lord, in challenging conditions, that Thou would continue to bless them. Strengthen especially Steve as he cares for his wife. That he may feel and experience and know Thy presence in this. And that he too may know, that both of them may know that these trials are indeed ordained by Thee to transform them into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we also pray, having confessed that Thou art the one who created all things and upholdest all of creation, we pray, Lord, for rain. As the land is dry and we are dependent upon Thee for the crops, 
Lord, we're so quick to forget with our technology that we still need Thy providence to feed us. Help us, O Lord, to confess this and then grant rain that we may know and give Thee thanks for it. Father, will to be with us now as we worship Thee? Open Thou the mouth of Thy servant, despite all his shortcomings, Lord, that Thou wouldst speak Thyself unto this flock and to, unto all of our hearts. Give open hearts ready to receive the Word. Take away, O Lord, all that which hinders us. Distracting thoughts, sinful thoughts and imaginations, Lord, please take it away. May all things be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. As we come before Thee, Lord, confessing our sin and our sinfulness. It is our sin, Lord, that hinders us from worshiping Thee and from receiving Thy Word. And we pray, therefore, Lord, cleanse us again in the blood of Christ and then feed us, Lord, with Thy Word that we may bear fruit, that we may be witnesses of Him who has redeemed us. Lord, that all things may be done to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Church family, let us continue our worship service by the singing of Psalter 308. We will sing stanza 1, 3, 4, and 5. 1, 3, 4, and 5 of Psalter 308. And in the meantime, your gifts and offerings will be received for the Sumba mission this morning. May the Lord bless you and your gifts.
Dear church family, you've probably heard the expression a number of times, everything happens for a reason. And it's something that somebody would say when something goes wrong or not entirely according to plan. Well, everything happens for a reason. But the question is, what is the hope of knowing that something happens for a reason when you don't really know what that reason is, or let alone if that reason is in your favor? But our passage this morning is very explicit about the fact that indeed everything does happen for a reason, a very good reason, a very glorious purpose. What is that purpose for which everything happens? That is what we wish to consider this morning. And then with it also comes the question, what can you as a believer draw out that comfort by knowing that everything happens for a good purpose? Our text this morning is Romans 8, verse 26 to 34. And I will just read verse 28 and 29 for now, but I recommend that you keep your Bibles open because we will follow this passage really closely. And we know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren." So our theme this morning is God's ultimate purpose for everything, with four points. God fulfilling His purpose in our spiritual weakness. God fulfilling His purpose in life's circumstances. God fulfilling His purpose through our election. And God fulfilling His purpose for Christ. And maybe if you have the notes with you, you will see the, the, the verses indicated with each point. And maybe you're wondering why they're, they're all apart, and it looks like maybe we're going to be going all over the place. But what I would like to point out is, is the structure of this text. Uh, it, it follows a model where what's being emphasized is actually in the middle of the text. And everything that leads up to that climax, and everything that flows out of that climax, relates and corresponds. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going, as it were, to scale this mountain from both sides simultaneously to finish with that highlight of this text. And you will see this as we go through this text. So our first point, God fulfilling His purpose in our spiritual weakness. And we see in the first place how God is fulfilling His purpose by the Spirit's intercession in the believer as it works out, sanctification. We read this in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So why is Paul saying this? Why is he speaking about struggling with prayer? And for that, we need to take a a brief look at the context I'm sure you're all very familiar with the book, the letter to the Romans. 
And it begins with this universal problem of sin. And then it moves on to justification in Jesus Christ. And then it goes to sanctification. And then you arrive at this well-known chapter 7, where you see the battle of the flesh against the spirit. The old man versus the new man. The battle against sin, indwelling sin. But the chapter nevertheless climaxes in the victory of Jesus Christ. And then you move into chapter 8. Chapter 8 reflects back on the victory of Jesus Christ, and it looks forward to glorification. But in the meantime, we still read of a struggle in chapter 8. It's a struggle that believers face in this life as pilgrims. Because we still carry within us that old man, the sin that cleaves unto us. And it is that sin, that sin within us and sin without us, as we live in this cursed world, that causes so much confusion and struggle, spiritual struggle, physical struggle, emotional struggle, and all sorts of struggles. And it is in this struggle that Paul mentions that first of all, you will struggle in prayer. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We look at the situation around us or the situation in our hearts and and we're so confused or we're so in doubt, we don't know what to pray for. And sometimes our spiritual struggle may be so deep that we don't even know how to pray anymore. And yet Paul says at this point, the Holy Spirit helps you in those infirmities, in those weaknesses, in those spiritual struggles. The Holy Spirit helps you in that He is interceding with you. How is He doing that? Well, as He's working in your heart, the Holy Spirit is stirring these longings after God. Your desires after God to be reconciled with Him, to live for Him, to the point... For even in your darkest moments, you don't know what to pray for anymore. Maybe all that comes out is a groan or a sigh. That is the expression of your longing after God. And the Holy Spirit knows it because He's the one that puts it there. And He takes up that groan, that sigh. And He brings it before the Lord God in heaven and articulates the thing that we ourselves cannot express. That is how the Holy Spirit is helping you in your weaknesses. How do we know that? Well, this brings us to verse 27 where it says, And he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, children... Who is the one that searches your heart? Who is the one that knows your desires, that knows what you really want? That's God, right? Psalm 139 says, Thou understandest my thought afar off. God is the one who searches the heart. And when God searches the heart of a believer, 
what he finds in that heart is the work of the Holy Spirit, the purposes of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is at work, sanctifying you, stirring you to pray, sanctifying your prayers, and conforming your prayers more and more in line with the will of God. This is how the Holy Spirit helps us, even in our spiritual darkness and weaknesses, how He helps us to pray. So this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our spiritual life. But at the other end of the passage, we also see how God is fulfilling His purposes by Christ, Christ's intercession, which preserves the believer. This begins, this we can read in verse 33 where Paul opens his argument, he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It's a rhetorical question. Paul asks, think about it. Who charges or who can successfully accuse the elect, God's children? If you're a child of God, who can accuse you? Uh, Maybe you think, well, Satan accuses me. My own conscience accuses me. But it's a rhetorical question. Paul says, think about it. Who does that? Because then he says, it is God who justifies. He says, God is the ultimate authority. He is the justifier. And when God is the justifier, then does it really matter who charges you? But that raises the question. How can God justify Well, that is explained in verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Again, a rhetorical question. Who is he that condemns, Paul asks? Who is he that condemns? Well, the one who would condemn us would be the judge, because the judge is the one who pronounces the ultimate sentence. But then comes the answer. The judge, the judge of all the earth, who is that? It's Jesus Christ. Romans 2 verse 16, God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. By secrets, he's just pointing out those are the sins that live within us. So if God judges the secrets, he judges all of us, all our sins. Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge. And now Paul says, he is the judge, but he died. He died for the sins of his people. He himself paid the ransom for our sins. And then he hastens to add, he said, not only did he die, he was also raised from the dead by the Father. That means that God the Father has accepted that payment, Jesus' payment, for your sins if you are a believer. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, is what Romans 4 verse 25 says. And as he was raised for our justification, then he was also ascended into heaven where he is seated on the right hand of God the Father in his human nature. And it is there where he is praying for you every moment of the day. And no doubt, showing his pierced hands 
and his wounded side as he's pleading for you, this very moment for you to be upheld so that one day you may be brought into his presence. So there you have it. The Holy Spirit is praying with you in the midst of your spiritual circumstances and your spiritual life. And, the whole, and Jesus Christ is praying for you that you may be upheld. So the Spirit is praying with you and Christ is praying for you so that all these weaknesses, these infirmities that still live within you, and all these accusations that come against you cannot thwart God's purposes for you. But now you might say, okay, this is what's happening in my spiritual life, but what about everything out there that influences my life, my circumstances, the things that happen to me? What is, what is God's purposes for that? And that brings us to our second point. God fulfilling His purpose in life's circumstances. And we see in our text that God's purpose is to work all things for good, for the good, for all believers. And this we can read in this well-known verse 28, which maybe some of you have even memorized. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So Paul begins by saying, we know. And that word knowledge here is really speaking about an assured, certain knowledge. For all the things that we're ignorant about, we know this for sure, says Paul, that all things. What does that mean? Well, you can think of all things that are happening to you in your life. You can think of the general things, the things that you would read about in the newspaper or on your social media feed, the things that may be happening far away from you that influence you to some extent. And Paul gives us a list in verse 38 and 39 where he speaks about death, life, angels, principalities, governments, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any creature. And you can add to this list, can't you? COVID-19, how did that influence your life? And everything that came with it. Mask mandates. The whole vaccine debate. But also, other things. War in the Ukraine. Increasing persecution of our brothers and sisters in other countries. Roe v. Wade. Political turmoil. You read and you hear about all these things and you wonder, what is the world coming to? In what kind of environment am I going to be continuing to live? In what kind of environment are my children going to grow up? It's all included in the all things of Romans 8 verse 28. But also, the events that affect us very personally... In verse 35, Paul speaks about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, hunger, nakedness, 
peril or sword. And here too we can add to the list, can't we? The things that really come to test our faith personally. When we hear about when, when the diagnosis of cancer strikes us, marital problems, problems at work, being laid off from your job, loss of loved ones, all these things which I know is a reality in some of your lives. All these things, Paul says, we know for sure that they work together for good. They work together for good. For whom? Paul says here, to them that love God. It's a title that he's really emphasizing. Are you a God lover? Then God works all things for your good. Because you are the called according to His purpose. And therefore we know that all things work together for your good. Really, all things. Absolutely everything. How can that be? Because all things are included in the benefits of Jesus Christ and His atoning work. Let's unpack that for a moment. In verse 31, Paul speaks, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And when he speaks about these things in this verse, he's referring back to verse 28. The all things. And it's a rhetorical question again. What shall we say to these things? All these things that are happening to us. What are we going to do with these things? Are we going to complain about them? Are we going to despair? Are we going to take matters into our own hands? Trying to somehow adjust or change our destiny? Or are we going to dive deep into all sorts of conspiracies to figure out what is happening behind the scenes? What are we going to say to all these things? It's a rhetorical question. Paul says, think about it. If God is for you, who can be against you? And also, what can be against you? Echoing Psalm 118, verse 6, where it says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The question here is therefore not so much how are we going to respond to all those things. The question is, do I know? How can I know that the Lord is on my side? And that brings us to verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul in this verse is really highlighting God did not keep back His Son. He gave Him over for us. That which God loved the most, His only begotten Son, He gave Him to us. Paul says, now think about that. 
If God loved us so much that He gave us His only Son, how then shall He also not with Him graciously give us all things? But remember and notice in this verse it says, with Him. All things, all things that you have, All things that occur to you, your circumstances in life, the troubles that you go through, spiritually, physically, mentally, all things are given to you by God with Him, with Jesus Christ. That means that everything that you have as a child of God is included with Christ. It's part of the benefits that He gives to you. And that means that everything that you have, everything that happens to you, is everything, not physically everything in this world, but everything that is necessary for your complete salvation. And by complete salvation, we're not just talking about the escape from hell and the wrath of God, but also the process of sanctification in this life. We still need to be saved from ourselves. And then we enter into glory, and then salvation is complete. So all these things are working together for our salvation in this life. And you know what that also implies? Is that God is withholding from you and I that which could hinder our salvation. So if we desire health, wealth, prosperity, driving around in this neighborhood, just on the way here, we saw some exotic sports cars and some mansions. My flesh wants those things. But God is withholding them from me. Because He knows that it will hinder my salvation in this life. It is going to obstruct my sanctification. What about you? Even if God gives us pain, sickness, disease, poverty, what trial can you think of? They are, in a sense, gifts of God for your salvation to prepare you thereby. And that is the true meaning of the good of verse 28. That verse which has been so abused by prosperity gospel preachers. When you look at verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God. If you look at that from the perspective of your salvation, you will come to understand how not just the positive, but also the negative makes sense. But if you look at it from a perspective that if your thought of the good in this life is only about comfort and peace and prosperity and health, then you've just gutted verse 28 of its meaning. And you'll never be able to explain the suffering and the pain. 
But from the perspective of our salvation, it makes complete sense how God could work all things for our good. Therefore, Paul says in verse 39, that if you love God, nothing can separate you from His love for you. So here we've seen how God is working even through the weaknesses of your spiritual life by the intercession of the Holy Spirit in your heart and with Christ praying for you and how He's also using all your external circumstances towards your salvation. This is the what of what God is doing. But how exactly is He doing it? And that brings us to our third point. How God is fulfilling His purpose through our election. That He first and foremost elected us to conform us into the image of His Son. This we read in verse 29a where it says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So Paul begins by saying, whom he did foreknow. And that knowledge here speaks of this intimate love relationship. You could also read whom he loved from eternity past. Whom God loved from eternity past, them he also predestinated. Now children, that's a difficult word, isn't it? But predestination, in it you you read the word destiny. God destined you to be like Jesus Christ. But now you need to think about this. This morning we spoke about creation, about how God made the world and how God made men. But before He created this world, He already set His love upon His people who were, in a sense, yet to be made. He set His love upon them, and because He set His love upon them, He also predestinated them. Predestinated them to be like Christ and to be in His presence once more. Now, those two decisions, if you will, to love from eternity past and to predestine from eternity past, those two things God decided before the world was made. That means that those two decisions are absolutely sovereign because there was nobody there to influence that decision. That we know for sure. But that also means that the purpose for which he loved and the purpose for which he predestinated is also equally sure and authoritative. Your confirmation into the image of Christ that we may be made like Christ, that we may be His image bearers. That is God's purpose for your life if you're a child of God. It's His purpose to conform us into the image of His Son in order that we may be brought into His presence as His image bearers. This we read in verse 30. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. So Paul is finishing a string of thought. 
And he's showing us the whole plan of redemption from beginning to end. He begins in eternity past, God electing, God predestining, and then he moves into time. And here's where we think it's going to get tricky. But Paul says, look at the actions of what God is doing. He's the one who's calling you with irresistible love. And he's the one who justifies you in the blood of his son. And then it says, he is the one who glorifies you. As a matter of fact, it says, he is the one who has glorified you. All the emphasis here is on God's actions. And all the verbs are in the past tense, including glorification. Wait a minute. From our perspective, that is yet to come. But it says here, them he also glorified, as if it already happened. Your glorification is such a certain reality that Paul writes it down as if it is already a present reality. Because God in His sovereignty has determined it. This is His plan for our whole lives, from beginning to end. Now, you think about that. And you wonder, in your life, how is God ever going to make me more like Christ? Do you ever get tired of yourself? Do you ever go through the day and you just find yourself over and again being moody, being impatient, being discouraged, being upset? And you find yourself responding to those emotions with actions and words and thoughts and imaginations that are so contrary to His Word and contrary to the image of Jesus Christ. How is God ever going to transform me? And the longer you look at yourself, the more sin you see. But Paul says, God has determined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's His purpose for you. It is going to happen. And he's using even your spiritual weaknesses and all the circumstances in your life to bring you to that point. That is for sure. So here we see what it is that God is doing in your life with absolutely everything. The final question is this To what end? That we will consider in our fourth point. God fulfilling His purpose for Christ. Verse 29b, which I would argue is the highlight of this text. It says that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Paul is really emphasizing the He here, using the personal pronoun He Himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, for whom the whole universe was made. This is about Him. This is about Jesus Christ. 
And what about him? That he might be the firstborn. What does that mean? Do we have any oldest sons here? In that society, back when Jesus lived, in the Bible society, if you were the oldest boy, the oldest son in your family, that was a very important place. If your parents were to pass away, you would receive double the inheritance over your brothers and sisters. It was a very prominent place, but with that prominency, with that honor, also came great responsibility. The oldest son was to take care of his family, his siblings. If his father were to pass away, he would assume that role and take care of his mother and his siblings. For example... Just to show you how strong that role was. When you read the parable of the prodigal son, the youngest son ran away with his father's possessions, claiming his inheritance to go live far away in a life of rioting, sin, partying. It would have been the responsibility of the oldest son, the oldest brother, to go after his younger brother, and to take him back to his father, reconciling him with his father, and restoring that relationship. And now you know from the parable that the oldest son in the parable miserably failed in that task. But not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when we rebelled against him, and sided with Satan himself... Jesus Christ came into this world, took upon him our took upon himself our flesh, suffered, walked the face of this planet. Numerous temptations coming at him, being burdened with a body that was under the curse. as He walked alongside of us. And there where we could go no further, He went to the cross to take upon His shoulders our sins and the punishment due to us so that He might redeem us, reconcile us with the Father, and bring us back into His presence. He truly was that great elder brother And it is because of Him that we are adopted into the family of God. It says in verse 15 of this chapter, You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And again in verse 17, If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. That is what He did for us so that we can be adopted children of God. And therefore, He is the firstborn, the most preeminent, honorable one. And then our text says, He is the firstborn 
among many brethren. Brethren here, again, it speaks of that fraternal relationship. The Bible in other places speaks about being a slave of Christ or being a child of God, but here it speaks about brothers and sisters. We're going to be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And then it's not a few, but many. A great multitude which no man could number is what Revelation 7 tells us. What's the point of all that? So that we may be in heaven to reflect His image and to glorify Him. Now think about, think for a moment what that means. That when you're in heaven, in eternity, there will be these millions of saints from all ages and from all nations. Very different people. People with whom we have no association here in this life. People that might have lived 500 years ago, so many thousand miles away on the other side of the planet. And yet every single one of them being a perfect image bearer of Jesus Christ, and yet every single one of them having an absolutely unique story to tell of how the Lord saved them and sanctified them. And I believe that in that moment when we are in heaven, we will be able to tell all these little things which the Lord did in our life, which in the moment we didn't know the meaning thereof. But then we'll be able to tell how the Lord used it to make us more like Jesus Christ. So that all of us, that Jesus can look at every single one of us and see a beautiful reflection of himself. What does that boil down to? As my mentor would say, Pastor Elsa down in Iowa, he always made it very clear. He pressed upon me. Never forget this. God the Father loves the Son. And here we have the ultimate expression of God's love for the Son. Because God the Father loves the Son, He wants to glorify the Son. Therefore, the whole universe was made for Jesus Christ. You and I were made for Jesus Christ. And then He came into this world to redeem us for Himself. So that God the Father could glorify the Son. And so that we all could glorify the Son. We see here a manifestation of God the Father's love. Not so much for you and I. Although that's included but it's about His love for the Son. And therefore, the purpose of your salvation and my salvation began all the way in eternity past. It's completed in this, or worked out in this life and then completed in eternity to come. But it began and it ends not with us, but with Him.
And it is for that reason alone that your and my salvation is secure. Because had God looked from eternity past at our lives and trying to save us for anything in ourselves, you know we would be without hope. But He looked at us through Jesus Christ. And therefore, your salvation is secure because His purpose in your and my salvation it includes us. But that purpose is about Him. It's about His glory. It's about Jesus Christ. Your whole life is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. What does it mean to us, practically speaking? A lot. Beginning with this, that the good purpose of all things, as we've seen, is about Him and not us. The question is, are you and am I willing to accept that? Because it means that in the spotlight of your life is not you, but Jesus Christ. He has to take the center stage in your life. And it's a lot easier said than done. Because by nature, we are so wired to make it all about ourselves. My comfort, my pleasure, my honor, my glory. But no, we must step aside and make our whole lives about Him. Even as children of God, we struggle with this, don't we? We have such subtle ways to still make it about ourselves. Listen to my testimony of what God did do for me because I'm so special. Make your life about Jesus Christ. Now, as much as we struggle with that, the question is, do you want that? Is that your desire to make your life about Jesus Christ, even though you may be struggling with this? Because if that is the case, then you have... If you create, then the next question is, do you also wish to be conformed to His image? Is that something that you obsess about? Is that something that is continually in your prayers? Lord, make me more like Jesus Christ. If it isn't, then I urge you to make that your plea. Consider your prayer life. What is it that is most prominent in your prayers? Do you desire to be made like Jesus Christ? Then pray to God that He would do just that. And if that is the case, if that is your desire that you may be conformed to His image, then you have great reason to rejoice. Because as we have seen, he uses absolutely everything in your life to achieve just that. The question is, do you recognize it when it happens? We can understand, right, in the big things in life, how God would use that to make us more like Christ. 
we can understand that it is particularly through suffering that God conforms us into the image of His Son as He makes us follow in His footsteps. When He weans us loose from this world, when He weans us loose from the temptations and from the lusts of the flesh and makes us more dependent on Him. So that like Christ, after Him, we also come to cry, Abba, Father. And we understand how God would use marriage for that. We understand how God would use having children for that, the positive things, but also the negative things. Maybe it's hard to admit in the moment, but we can understand by grace that God can even use prolonged struggles and suffering, the things that consume our lives, to make us more like Him. I know some of you are going through those trials. And I hope that in hindsight you will be able to say how the Lord brought you closer to Him in those trials and how He made you more like Christ in those situations. But where it gets really challenging, at least for me it is, is where God starts to intervene in the little things in your life and in my life. I guess around here, traffic is an obnoxious reality. But getting stuck in a traffic jam, do you believe in God's sovereignty? If so, he's using that traffic jam to conform you into the image of Christ. Yesterday, I tried to travel here. It's quite a challenge. Flights got canceled and eventually made it here, but I was strongly desiring to go see the mission post in downtown New York and never got to it. Why? I don't know. And it's pointless for me to go sit around and fret about it, why God would hinder me from going there. We have this tendency, right, to, to think about something challenging that we face. And we think about, why is God doing this? Well, maybe I sinned the other day and now He's punishing me and, and this and that. It's not worth your time. One day you may know in heaven. But for now, we simply get to acknowledge that God is using it to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, and to prepare you to be in His presence. So my charge to you this morning and to myself, time and again, need to be reminded about this, is to recognize God's sovereignty over all things in your life and knowing that He uses it to conform you into the image of Christ. So when you wake up with a nasty headache or a cold, or you get stuck in a traffic jam, or your kids are fighting over insignificant things, or you enter the grocery store with this perfect shopping list and you come home and you realize you forgot this key ingredient to make a meal in the evening, or what else it is, what can you think of? Your spiritual struggles the big struggles in life, and the little ones, every single time we're called upon in the moment to pause, to take a deep breath, 
And before spouting all our complaints to our spouses, to our family members, to our friends, and to everybody who wants to hear it on social media, pause and thank God for your car breaking down, for the headache, for whatever it is that you're facing in the moment because you know that He is using it to conform you into the image of His Son. Everything. I hope you remember this because I have to remind myself this all the time. And it is particularly at this point that if you are still outside of Jesus Christ, that I hope you're starting to get really uncomfortable here. It's easy to be a conservative Christian, to come to church twice a Sunday, to read your Bible, to say your prayers, to go through all the motions, as long as God blesses you. Then we can keep Him at an arm's length. But if when you hear all this, maybe you've come to realize that surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, He becomes Lord over absolutely everything. Every detail of your life. He's in charge of your life, and it essentially it's our task, our duty, to give Him thanks for absolutely everything. God doesn't want to be kept at arm's length. He wants to be in your life. He wants to own you, and you're responsible to Him now. Do you want that? Do you desire that? Because if that is not the case, it means that you're still outside of His kingdom. But what that also means is that all these glorious truths that we've considered so far are now turned against you. The very opposite applies. It means that the Holy Spirit is not interceding with you and the Lord Jesus Christ is not praying for you so that all these weaknesses and all these sins that still dwell within you will be held against you and that all things indeed work together not for your salvation but for your condemnation for as long as you stay outside of His kingdom. And then know this, if you think that there's somehow a way out, there isn't. Because Jesus Christ will be glorified, whether it's in your condemnation or in your salvation. Your only hope is to surrender your whole life and every part of it, including your secret sins, to Him that He may be your Lord and King. That you subject your life to Him so that you may be part of the fulfilling of that purpose for which you were created, to be His image bearer and to glorify Him forever and ever. Seek Him and give Him no rest until He is your King also. Go to Him in repentance of your sin and even repenting of your lack of desire to be made like Him.
Go to him by faith. And he will not cast you out, if you will but surrender to him. Because blessed are you if you have made Jesus Christ Lord over all your life and everything in it. Because guess what? You can truly say that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a glorious reason. And it is this, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Lord and Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, help us to bow before Thee this morning. Take our lives, O God, and let it be to Thy glorification. And help us to continue to surrender everything to Thee. Help us to live in this reality, Lord. For we're so quick, so prone to complain to despair, to doubt. Lord, sanctify us by these glorious truths and help us to pursue Thine honor and glory alone. Strengthen Thy people with that message, Lord, and those who are still outside of Thy kingdom, O God, draw them in with these glorious truths. Father, wilt Thou please be with us for the remainder of this day. Cleanse us again of our sins, even as of this worship service. Take away that which was of men, that which was vanity. And bless that, Lord, that which was dying. And use it for the furtherance and the strengthening of thy kingdom. But to bring us back again safely into thy house tonight. And bless us again, Lord, with thy word. We pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Church family, our closing Psalter this morning is from Psalter 243. 243 stands as 1, 4, 5, and 6. 1, 4, 5, and 6.
Let us conclude with our doxology as we sing Praise God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the God whom we adore, be glory as it was, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen.